I often wonder sometimes, where would a church be without songs? I often think about that an awful lot. You know, because music really has a way of shaping our belief, informing our thoughts and actions, and singing songs really helps us to form our theology. Also, singing has a knack to confront us as well as to comfort us. So I thank God for singing in the Church of Jesus Christ. I stand before you this morning by the power of God, the authority of Jesus Christ, and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just solicit your prayers this morning. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. And that's a day when we remember those who have died in military service to our country. And I was just talking this morning in our Sunday school class, and we was talking in terms of that day, Memorial Day, was originally called Decoration Day for those who died in the Civil War. And after World War I, it was expanded to include men's and women's who died while serving in the United States military. And as you know, Memorial Day doesn't mean what it once did. For most, Memorial Day is just another Monday that we celebrate. In fact about it, in most instances, it marks the beginning of summer, a holiday that has become synonymous with long weekends, cookouts, parades, and local fairs. But I remind you this morning that a lady organization in Columbus, Mississippi, in 1866, went to Friendship Cemetery on the outskirts of that town, the battleground of Shiloh, in order to put flowers on the Confederate dead. And as the story goes, one of the women spontaneously suggested that they decorate the graves of the Union soldiers as well as the Confederate dead. And she made that statement based upon as each grave contains someone's father, someone's brother, and someone's son. And that, when I read that, that was very touching to me. And it was so touching to me that I came up with the title of my sermon, Love Thy Enemy. But basically, if you go and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice that Jesus makes 
six different observations in terms of you heard it said, but I say, and I wanted that sermon to be titled The Law of God Versus the Tradition of Men. But after reading that particular statement of these ladies, I changed it to love your enemy. Because the way I looked at it, the South was holding out a friendly hand or you might call an olive branch in bearing what animosity or ill will feeling towards those who fought against them. And I thought of the words over in Ephesians where Paul said, For himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And that's exactly what those women was doing. Breaking down the dividing wall of hostility that the Civil War had created between the North and the South. And it was one interesting thing in terms of that compassionate act that those ladies did. Newspapers throughout the country printed stories on their impartial, compassionate act, and that spread it throughout the whole country, which brought about an interest in memory of the dead. And it was seen as a healing touch for the nation and a highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. And also, a lawyer in New York named Francis Mile Finch read about this reconciliatory act that these women did, and he wrote a poem. And the name of the poem is The Blue and the Gray. And that poem shows life after war. So any nation trying to find a way to move on after a war that split the country, the states, the community, and even families, this gesture was welcome as a way to lay the past to rest while honoring those who had fought on both sides. And I really encourage you during the week to just Google and look up that particular poem by Mr. Finch, The Blue and the Gray. It is a very touching poem. In that particular poem, it transitioned from the gloom of defeat into a sunny spring day full of blossom blooming fall. And with that said, I just ask you to join me in prayer this morning. Our Father, who is our God and Savior, today, Lord, we pause to reflect on the sacrifice made by those who pay the ultimate price on behalf of our nation. Lord, we pray that their sacrifice are never forgotten, nor is the pain of their families forgotten. And Lord, we acknowledge without doubt that freedom comes at a cost and pray that we can pursue peace we hope, Lord, that someday we will be able to celebrate Memorial Day not just as a memory, Lord, you intended for us since the beginning of creation. Lord, in our remembrance of the fallen, 
guide us towards a harmonious existence as we honor those who were willing to give up their lives that we may gather here today, Lord, under your holy word. And Lord God, as we turn to your holy word, Lord, will you take it up into our hearts and will you apply it, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus may be magnified, our sins, Lord, crucified, and our likeness in our Savior, Father. And Lord, we ask these things in no other name but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And with that said, I kind of ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And as you turn into Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, I remind you that there is nothing magical about us standing this morning. You know, we stand to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We stand to sing the National Anthem. We stand to say the Star-Spangled Banner. And we do that out of honor. And we stand this morning out of honor to read the Word of God. So hear the Word of God as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Yet, therefore, must be perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the holy word. Oh, you may be seated, please. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what we were reading from, chapter 5, and the Sermon on the Mount runs through five, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting forth the righteousness of his kingdom. And that is how the disciples are going to live once heaven has been implanted in their heart through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus has been contrasting his teaching of the Old Testament law with the Pharisees' false teaching. And if you look at that, you will kind of notice over and over in that particular chapter, chapter 5, Jesus Jesus makes that particular contrast. In making that contrast, Jesus points out the false teaching of the Pharisees, and he points back to what the Old Testament says in terms of his particular teaching. And and understand the context of Jesus' saying here has to do with religious persecution. And I kind of understand that, but I believe that what Jesus is saying applies in a practical sense to us. So what I want to do is to look at those verses from a practical sense. 
And the first idea that I would like to communicate to you from those verses we can find in verse 43. And that particular idea is we must not limit the extent of who our neighbor is. And listen to these words. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is what the Pharisees have said. And when Jesus say, you have heard, this is what they have heard from the rabbinical priesthood that has been passed down to them. But Jesus is correcting their teaching in terms of what it is that they have heard. And what has happened there, if you go back and you look in the book of Leviticus, you will see that they have changed the law and have appended it with some unbiblical truth. That is what is going on in terms of what the Pharisees are doing. They are putting a restriction on God's command. The Pharisee had defined neighbor as a person who had a claim on their love, on your love, a person who deserved to be treated lovingly by you. So they had refined or redefined the definition of what a neighbor is. But the parable of the Good Samaritan is clear to us what a neighbor is. A neighbor is a person that, who has a need that you and I can meet. Now, in Old Testament, we was told not only to love our neighbor, we were to love the stranger. Also, the resident alien and also the person that was sojourning in the land of the nation of Israel. So you see, the Pharisees misunderstood the meaning of neighbor. They misinterpreted the law of God in their teaching on our neighbor. They had a worldly understanding of who our neighbor is. And I'm not really sure they misunderstood or really misinterpreted it. I believe it was done intentionally by virtue of not wanting to take a command from Jesus by virtue he had not been to their particular school. And another idea in those particular verses that I want you to take away is we must be willing to embrace our obligation to love our enemies. In fact about it, look at verse 44. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, see, Jesus has said to them early, you heard it said, but now Jesus is saying the correct teaching, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So now what Jesus is telling us here in verse 44 is we as kingdom people must be willing to embrace our obligation to love our enemies. So it is significant that he did not say like your enemy because like is a sentimental value, is a sentimental quality, you might say. Love is greater than life. The God kind of love Jesus calling us to is what we all know is agape love. Agape love some, is something that is understanding. Agape love is very creative, and agape love is a love that is very redemptive 
for all men. Because our natural tendency is to hate those who hate us. When we see others, we must see them as ourselves, and we must love them as ourselves. Not because they are likable, but because God loves them. So you see, Jesus gives us some practical teaching on what it means to love your enemy. In fact about it, the book of Luke really shares some light upon what Jesus really means in terms of love your enemy. You may not have these verses, but turn over to Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. The same words that Jesus has spoken in Matthew, Luke gives these words that Christ has spoken. And I kind of like it because he gives us the very reason of why we should love our enemies. Notice in Luke 27, it says, But I say to you, but I say, you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So you notice in, those, in that particular verse, Jesus is giving us three things set forth of how we should treat our enemies. First, he said that, we should speak well of our enemies. We are to bless our enemies. What, whatever they say to us out of character, we are not to return reviling for reviling, but we are to speak well and uprightly with love towards them. Notice also in that particular verse, he says, do well to our enemies we must love them in a practical sense. We must be ready to give them all real kindness at any opportunity that God gives us. And if you notice also, the third thing that Jesus says is pray for our enemies. Uh, now, these words would take on an extra meaning for Jesus' disciples. And if you recall, every one of them but John would end up giving their lives for Jesus Christ. And to pray for those who persecute you, the enemies of the gospel, that is what Jesus is talking about. Now, if I ask you to take inventory of enemies that you might have, I would almost have to say you would come up with none. Now, you might come up with some people you dislike or people might disagree with you, but as far as, as enemies that really hate you, I think it's of a, a different nature. But there will become a time where we will have people that truly hate us, just like they hated the disciples in terms of their belief in Jesus Christ. We will be persecuted for our basic belief. And I remind you, the quickest way to develop love for an enemy is to pray for him. It is very difficult to get down on your knees and offer up sincere prayer for another without cultivating love for that particular person. Asking God to forgive them and asking God that he will grant them peace with us, 
Praying is an act of mercy. Praying is loving like our Heavenly Father. Praying changes our hearts. Loving our enemies means seeing them as human beings in need of the Father's love. You perhaps heard it said, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is just human nature. But to return good for evil, that is divine. And that is what Christ is asking us to do when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So practical kindness is what Christ is asking for when it comes to loving our enemies. And Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience at this particular time. And Jesus' audience, as Jesus is talking to this audience, I remind you, this is a very critical challenge to the modern church today. Many of us will never face that level of persecution that his disciples faced with. But yet, those days are coming in terms of us being persecuted for our basic belief, just as his disciples was. And the third idea that I want to share with you in terms of those verses that we read this morning is we must be imitators of our Heavenly Father in terms of his love. Now notice in verse 45. In verse 45, he say so that, now kind of notice in verse 45, he tells us why our motivation should be to love our enemies. In verse 45, reads as such, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust. So you see, these Pharisees are saying that love is for simple for some of those, but not for all. In contrasting them to your heavenly Father, he caused the rain to shine on the just and the unjust, and he, which kind of brings a blessing to both the righteous peoples as well as the unrighteous people both to the good peoples as well as to the wicked people. And these are some very common mercy, which are proof of God's sovereign divine love. And this is what Jesus is calling us to demonstrate to those. For while we were at enemies with him, at the right time, Christ died for us. So the Father love is a love which reaches out to those who hate him. And we ought to desire to show the same kind of love as the love of our Heavenly Father. And kind of notice in verse 46 and 47 what Jesus is saying. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? In those verses, Jesus is making it very clear that love in the kingdom of God exceeds the common love of the world. 
love of the kingdom of God exceeds that love of the Pharisees. He said of the tax collectors, and they were not very popular in their day. And the Lord Jesus says, even tax collectors love those who love them. Look out for those who look out for them. But Jesus is asking the Jews as well as he's asking us a lot more. And it's also true that brothers love brothers even among the Gentiles and even among the pagan and even among those who do not know the law of Moses, peoples look out for those who are their own. So Jesus is saying to Christians that he expects more from us. And we all know the world failure to even love in a common way. And the world failed miserably just loving in a very, very common way. For we know that Christianity is more than humanity. So we have been promised more than others. God has done more for us through salvation, and therefore he expects more from us than others. He called us to love our enemies, which is a higher love than what the Pharisees was demonstrating as religious people. So Jesus says that when you love your enemies, you are living out the image of God. You are the children of the Most High. And he is reminding us to not forget our identity. There's not a time when we are more like our Heavenly Father than we are loving our enemies unconditionally. And that takes us down to verse 48. And notice what verse 48 says. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And I know that if you look at the Greek, the word perfect could mean complete. But you know, the thing is this, is God desired to form us into the image of Jesus Christ. So by virtue of that, we must set our goal on being perfect. You know, because we are declared positionally we are perfect in the eyes of God. But yet, we remain here on earth to practice what we are. And we all know the old adage, practice make perfection. You know, so don't evade the word when it said, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Because be perfect, we should really say, but I can't be perfect. And that's when Jesus say, you are right. And if you, show, if you fall short of perfection, you need a savior. 
And that's what he's trying to get these Sadducees and Pharisees to really see. They need a Savior. They need a Savior. And that's exactly what he is saying to these religious leaders in the Sermon on the Mount, that you need a Savior. And I kind of close with this. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you must believe your enemies are sent to you by God's design and with God's approval. Let me say that again. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you must believe your enemies are sent to you by God's design and with God's approval. And I say that for the simple reason, if Satan could not tempt Job without God's permission, what about us? If Satan could not sift Peter without Jesus' permission, what about us? I'm a firm believer that anything that makes me or should make you need Jesus is a blessing. Anything that come into my life that makes me need Jesus, I count it as a blessing. Because your enemy could not torment you without God's permission. Behind our enemies stand the hand of God. God would never permit it permit it if he did not intend to bring something good out of it. And I look at the cross. Look at the good that came out of the cross. Many people sitting here today say out of the goodness of the cruelty of the cross of Christ. Look at how Joseph looked at his ordeal. You meant it for good, his brothers. You meant it for evil, his brothers. But God meant it for good. So with that said, I was truly blessed of reading about uh, those ladies in Columbus, Mississippi, you know, going to decorate the graves of the Confederate dead and yet they looked and saw some Union dead buried in that same cemetery. In fact about it, I read there was 40 of them buried in that same cemetery and that's why that particular woman spontaneously said let us decorate their graves as well.
And that was just a beautiful picture of those women loving those that fought against them and perhaps maybe have had some family members killed that they were decorating those graves for. And yet they saw the Union soldiers as someone's son, someone's father, and etc. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord God, we come this morning. We come to say thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. And oh, God, would you help us in our lives and our attitude, Lord, to work out this controlling force of love, this controlling power, Lord, that can solve every problem as we come together this morning, Lord, in a way to worship and praise you, Lord. And Lord, all around the world this morning, we can hear the glad echo of heaven ring. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun journey runs. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till noon shall wane and wax no more. Lord, this morning we can also hear the chorus singing, all hail the power of Jesus Christ. And Lord, tomorrow, Memorial Day, as it's called now, Lord, we pray for peace and for those who gave it all. It lead us towards a world, Lord, where no one must give their lives in pursuit of freedom. Lord, may we be receptive to your guidance, and may we never forget the fallen. Though an army besiege us, Lord, our heart will not fear. Though war breaks around us, Lord, even then we will be confident. One thing we ask this day from the Lord, this only we do seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. And we pray in the name of our Lord and our God, Jesus Christ, for his sake. And all God people say, amen. Amen.